So my name is Michael, but sometimes when I'm introduced, particularly with Clive, I'm introduced as Mike. Right? Have you heard that? Some of you call me Mike. So let me clear this up. That's fine. I'm okay with the nickname. Actually, my mom calls me Mike. My four brothers call me Mike. My friends that I grew up with call me Mike. But when I met Beth Ann, this is, this is how I became Michael, she had just been dating a guy named Mike. So when we met 26 years ago, she's like, would it be okay if you were Michael? It's like, sure, I'm in love. Whatever you want. Call me Fred. I don't care. Call me whatever. So I became Michael 26 years ago. So I have a lot of people who know me as Michael. Some people, a lot of people who know me as Mike. You can call me either. I, I'm used to nicknames. I got one guy calls me Mick. I'm like, okay, Mick. I'm not sure how I like about what feel about Mick. But he calls me that anyway, regardless of whether I'm okay with it. There's another person that calls me Mikey. I'm like, okay. You're the only person allowed to do that, so Force Town, just know that's been banned from the, the list. I have another guy who calls me the Hunter. So I'm like, okay, that's pretty good, too. I like that. But we love nicknames, right? Nicknames are a sign of affection, right? Most of the time, they're a sign that you really uh, love somebody. Uh, you, you give nicknames to your kids, right? You know, Maddie is Mad, and McKinney is Ken, and MB is MB. Michael Bryan. Um, but in, on his football team, he's got a nickname. He's called The Beast because of his prowess on defense. And I love that, right? And, you know, we got famous sports stars, and they all have nicknames. And, and it's because of maybe their accomplishments or, or, or whatever it is to remind us of them. And nicknames are great. And, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but Jesus actually gave nicknames to people. Did you know that? Jesus was into nicknames. There was two guys who were apostles of him, James and John, brothers, and he called them the Sons of Thunder. He gave them that nickname. Now, I don't know why. Maybe, you know, they were lactose intolerant and they had too much dairy in their diet and they became the Sons of Thunder from the, I don't know. More, more than likely, they battered around, beat each other around as brothers and argued and finally he was like, you guys are like the Sons of Thunder, you know? But the most famous nickname that Jesus ever gave, I think, was to a guy named Simon. And in John chapter 1, I, as, as I was researching and preparing for this talk, I didn't ever realize this, but in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus meets Simon, and he immediately says, I'm going to call you the rock. Did you know that? First time he meets him, he's like, your name is Simon, but I'm changing it. You're now Simon the rock. Long before Dwayne the Rock Johnson ever existed with his 76 million Instagram followers, was Peter the rock. And I love that, that Jesus sees him. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't give him this name just as a nickname, right? He looks at Simon, and he says, I'm changing your name. I'm giving you this nickname, the rock, because of what I see in you, potential, but also what I see in your future. This is what he's doing. He's not just changing his name for fun. He's changing his name, or he's giving him this nickname, and a lot of people call him Simon Peter, right, for a long time. They, they keep the first name, Simon the Rock, son of Jonah, uh, for the rest of his life. But he's giving him this name because at this moment, he's basically signifying to him, your life is about to take a completely different direction. It's changing 
from here on, and you're never going to be the same. He changes his name. So Peter gets picked by Jesus as one of his apostles. He begins to follow Jesus, and there's and then we learn about Peter. And if you guys do a study on Peter, here's what you'll find out. And I, I love this guy because I relate to him so much. He was brash. He spoke first, and he thought about what he was talking about later. Right? He was, he was all about all the way in or not in at all. Right? If he was going to do something, it was all the way or forget it. I'm not even going to mess with it. That's what Peter was like. We see instances in his life to show us this. There's, there's a time where... They're out on the Sea of Galilee, right? And, Jesus, and there's a storm going on, and Jesus is walking up to their boat on the water. And what does Peter do, Mr. All the Way In? He's like, hey, if you call me out there, Jesus. Let me walk on the water too. None of the other disciples, by the way, none of the other apostles are saying that. They're just like, just stop the storm. Get me off this boat. But Peter says, let me walk on the water. And he does for a little bit. And then he falls into the water, and Jesus has to pull him up. Right? There's another time where they're arresting Jesus, and Peter pulls out a sword. It's like, you're not going to arrest him. And he hacks somebody's ear off because he's all or nothing. He is all the way in. He's brash. He thinks. He says something first. He does it first, and he thinks about it later. And Jesus is constantly having to go, Peter, slow down. Stop going so fast. There's another time right at the Last Supper where Jesus takes off his robe, and he begins to wash all the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter, and what does Peter say? You can't wash my feet. No, no, you can't do this. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher. You're in charge. And Jesus looks at him again. He's like, oh, Peter, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part in me. So what does Peter say, Mr. All or Nothing? He said, well, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Wash everything. Here's my hair. Get some shampoo up here. You know, whatever, do the whole thing. And Peter and Jesus, again, is like, Peter, oh, just the feet. That's all I need to wash. Just the feet. Let's see, Peter's been picked. Peter's the eldest, more than likely, of the, of the disciples. He's married. He's part of the inner three. I was talking about this with my family this week. You know, Jesus picked 12, but he had three, the sons of thunder, and Peter who he spent even more time with, and he gave them even more teaching than the other disciples. Why? Because Peter had been picked at the very beginning. This is going to be the guy, the leader. As impulsive, as brash, as ready to just jump in as possible, this is my guy. So then we get to where we're going in Mark. But first, in chapter 8 of Mark, Jesus begins to explain to his disciples very plainly, I'm going to have to die. I've come to die, but I'm going to come back. They don't fully understand that. And Peter in chapter 8 says, no, no, Lord, you can't do this. You can't die. And what is Jesus' response again to Mr. Brash? Say something first. Don't think about it till later, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. It's like you are not thinking about things of God. You're only thinking about things of the world and what you can understand. Peter, wake up. Jesus has been teaching Peter these lessons the whole time. He's been trying to prepare him to be a leader. And then we get to chapter 14 where we are in Mark. And Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples again. 
And he says this. He says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And, when, and Peter said to him, in front of all the other disciples, by the way, he says, even if everybody else falls away, I will not. You know, he's, I'm, I, not me, Lord, I'm all the way in. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. I'm not falling away. And then he says this, and Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But, G, but Peter says back to him, even if I must die, I will not deny you. That's what Peter says in front of everybody, emphatically. Doesn't matter if everybody else leaves, I'm not leaving. Even if I have to die tonight, I will not deny you. And Jesus is just going, oh boy, here we go again. Speaking first, thinking later. All the way in, brash, doesn't get it. And Jesus says, no, tonight you're going to deny me three times. 35 verses later, that's all it is. Just 35 verses later, in the same chapter, they've arrested Jesus, they've taken him away, and Peter's following. He's trying to stay as close as he can. And it says this, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you're with the Nazarene, right? But he denied it. And he said, I neither know or understand what you mean. And then he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And a servant girl saw him and began asking, this man is one of them, right? But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself, and he swore, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And then verse 72 says this, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And then it finally just says, Peter broke down and he wept. He wept. He had failed. And in that moment, Peter was thinking, am I done? Have I lost the leadership? Have I lost the room? I swore in front of everybody, I would not deny you. And then I turned around 35 verses later, and I did it. Am I done? He felt like an utter, complete failure, right? And he had said it in front of everybody. So he's thinking what anyone would be thinking. Everybody is going to go, you failed. What is your problem? The amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't leave it there, right? Now, the Gospel of Mark doesn't tell us what happens next between Peter and Jesus, but the Gospel of John does. And in the very last chapter, Peter, after Jesus has been resurrected and is alive and has seen Jesus, 
Peter has gone back to the Sea of Galilee to do what he used to do before he was following Jesus. He's gone back to fish. And he's at the Sea of Galilee fishing, and he's out in the water, and Jesus shows up. And they're out fishing, and he tells them to throw the nets on the other side of the boat again, like he did years before when, when Peter first started to follow Jesus. It's like this amazing recap to three years before. And when they realize it's Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore to go be with him. And then they sit by a campfire. And Peter wondering, does Jesus even want him to keep going? Does he still have his position as an apostle? Jesus has this amazing conversation with Peter and they sit at the fire. And Jesus doesn't say, you're a big fat failure. How could you do that? Here's what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. Then he asks him a second time, do you love me? He's like, Lord, you know I love you. He says, well, then tend my lambs. And then the third time, I mean, think about this. He's literally reenacting this three times you're going to deny me, and he's reversing it. He's saying three times you denied me, and three times I'm speaking to you, and I'm asking the question, do you love me? Do you really love me? And the third time, Peter's kind of exasperated, and he's like, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he says to him, well, then feed my sheep. He's reinstating Peter. He's communicating to him, all is well. There's still work to do. You're still my guy. I still need and want you, Peter, to be doing this, to leading the way. And the very last thing he says to him at the end of this passage is the same thing he said to him three years earlier. He says, Peter, follow me. Let's go. We got stuff to do. Peter denied Jesus. Yes. And then Jesus reinstated him and said, let's go. And you know what happened after that? Jesus leaves. The disciples begin to wait on the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they go and they preach the first sermon. And guess who preaches the first sermon? Peter. servant as a courageous godly man so here's my question for us where are you at in this process maybe you've been through some hard stuff in your life maybe you're sitting there right now going I feel like a failure and maybe this whole lockdown has brought some of those feelings out feeling alone feeling lost Maybe you've been through a divorce, and you're going, I'm out. God can't use me anymore. Look, my marriage is falling apart. What good am I, right? Or maybe you have children who don't talk to you anymore. Your relationships are strained, and you're like, I can't get my kids to actually want to engage with me or faith anymore, and I don't know what to do about it, and you feel like a failure, right? Or maybe you had a dear friend 
that you're not friends anymore. You had a friendship that got broken, and you don't know how to fix it. And you wish you could, and you wish you had the right words to say, but you feel like a failure. Or maybe you go to a job that you really wish you could do anything but that job. And you're not sure where your life is going, and you feel like you've hit a cul-de-sac or a dead end, and you think, I feel like a failure, and I don't know what to do about it. Can God even use me? Is he paying attention to how I'm feeling? And here's what I want you guys to hear. Just like Peter, the Lord is saying to you, do you love me? And if your response is like Peter's, yes, then he's saying, then feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Keep going. I still need you in the game. I still am inviting you to participate in this ministry, whatever it is that you're feeling. <clears throat> About 10 years ago, I'll tell you a personal story and then I'll wrap up. About 10 years ago, I went through probably the hardest time of my life, and I felt like an utter failure. Things were going, moving fast, and we were starting new work and young life, and I had all this staff going on. But underneath it all, I was running too fast, and I wasn't taking care of the people that I was supposed to be taking care of. And there was just a bad relationships were, were, were building bitterness and hurt, and it all came crashing down. And I didn't know what to do. I literally was praying, God, do you want us, Bethann and I, to stay in England? Do you want us to move back to America? You want me to do something other than young life? This hurts too much. I don't know how to fix this. And I feel like a complete and utter failure. What do you want to do? And just pray. And by the way, it's not great to make massive life decisions when you're hurting and down and depressed. That's, that's not great timing on making those decisions. So we were just trying to wait on the Lord. And then a few things happened, like three things happened in a row that really changed things. One was I got a new boss. And that was a massive change. It was a huge help because my new boss was someone I could really trust and I loved. The second thing that happened is suddenly this person that Bethann and I didn't even know left a legacy to us and came into our Young Life account, and suddenly our account was healthy, really healthy, and we were like, wow, okay, why would the Lord do that if he wants us to go do something else? But the biggest one, I was speaking at a church in Hatfield, and I just got up for two or three minutes to talk about Young Life, and then, um, then this lady got up after me to preach. She was about four foot ten, little bitty, you know, I thought I was short, but man, she was bringing it, and she got up to preach, and, I, and this has never happened to me before, this is unusual, but it was so cool, I, I will never forget it, she gets up to preach, and I'm sitting on the front row, because I was sharing, and the first thing she says is, I have a word from the Lord, I'm like, okay, cool, she goes, and it's for you, and she walks over and points at me, and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I want to hear this. Have you ever had that experience when somebody's like, I have a word for the Lord from you? And you're like, what are, what are you about to say? <clears throat> I'd never seen her in my life, and I've never seen her again. 
I'm not sure she was an actual person. She could have been an angel that just appeared on the day, right? And this is what she said. She said, I have a word from the Lord for you. Is it okay if you play me right now? Can I point at you, Bethann? Okay. This is my wife, so it's okay. She said this. She said, you are not to go anywhere. You are to stay right where you are, and you are to continue to do exactly what you're doing. And the Lord said he's going to use you to raise up leaders in the north and the south and the east and the west. And then she finished it off by saying, don't go anywhere. So I was praying for the Lord to give me guidance. That was pretty direct. Right? I was like, okay, I think I've just heard from the Lord quite clearly. And I tell you that story because here's what I want to say. The Lord is saying to you, maybe not exactly what she said to me, but here's what the Lord's saying to you. Don't give up. You're a child of God. You are gifted. And I believe in you. And I want you to know how much I adore you. And I think you're wonderful. Don't give up. God is not into forgetting about people. He's about restoring people. Right? When we feel like failures is when he says, come on, let's go. He's all about taking a failure because here's the thing. We fail at things, but we're not failures. There's a difference, right? We can fail at something and not be a failure. If you know Jesus, you are not a failure. You're a beloved child of God. And he loves you like crazy, and he wants to see you thrive in the life that he has for you, right? Do you believe that? You have to believe that. That's what will keep you sticking around. You cling to him. Peter failed, but he wasn't a failure. And God restored him and then used him in massive ways. Guess what? Same for you. Same for me. He's about taking us to places we can't even imagine. I hope you hear that. I hope it encourages you. Remember that today. Listen, we're going to sing a song, and then after that, we're going to have a time for prayer ministry. If you are sitting there today going, this is me, you're talking to me, I'm hearing from you, yeah, you guys can come up. Please allow somebody to pray for you. Please share that with somebody. We believe in you, but way better than that, the Lord absolutely believes in you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much for loving us and for reminding us that you are a God that restores, not rejects. That you are the God who believes and gifts. You are the God that says, I know the plans that I have for you, and they are not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. God, we pray for that. I pray that as we are singing or listening to singing at this next song, that that would go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.